Hey, it's Alexander J. I'm the host of the weekly NBA recap show on the Mojo Sports Network. Thanks for returning to listen this week. We've had some really great feedback from you and the team and I love the chat hoops and we really hope you're enjoying our conversations. This week, we take a look at some of the riveting stories and circumstances, especially in the Western Conference. Uh, we talk about all the career highs in the scoring this week. We play a little bit of Purtle and then look towards a Week 25 preview for the last week of the regular season before we hit the play-in next week. Just a final note before we get started, the audio for this show went a bit funny, so we've substituted my Zoom audio in instead of my regular mic. Hopefully, you can still enjoy the show. Let's get to it. Welcome back to the NBA Weekly Recap with me, your host, Alexander J. With me today, I've got three really knowledgeable blokes, and better yet, they're good-looking too. <laughs> Hailing from Melbourne, he's a sports facility owner and a fantasy team fanatic. It's Julian Balthazar. Good afternoon, Julian. Afternoon. Thanks for having me. No worries. Next up, you may have heard him on 91.3 Sport FM or DRN1 Sports Rap in Perth. It's our mini encyclopedia, Yuri Bilsic. Hey, Yuri. Alex, good afternoon. Hope everything's well. Thanks, mate. And uh, last but certainly not least, uh, you may have read him on the raw.com. It's Mr. Tom Dev. How are you, Tom? Not too bad. Getting right glad down to be to, back. I'm oh, glad to have you, mate. We're getting right down to the business end of the season. That's why I'm keen to talk over the top of you and get to a couple of great stories. We've only got one week left for the majority of teams, only four or five games remaining. And Tom, we might stay with you um, because Dallas are on quite the slide as of the last couple of weeks, um, the three and seven over their last 10 games. And I know you're itching to talk about what the hell's going on in Dallas, what they can do and looking potentially into the off season as well and seeing what's possible. Yeah. Well, they took the gamble and they took the bait and they got Kyrie Irving in and now they're suffering with the consequences. They have no defensive structure. Uh, since he's come in, they have a seven and 11 record uh, when he's playing and they're four and 10 when Luca and Kyrie play and eight and 14 overall since that trade. Uh, Today, they gave up 129 points to the Heat, who are ranked dead last in the NBA in points per game. Uh, and really, they, they're one game out of the play-in, not even playoffs, play-in. And uh, the Thunder have the tiebreaker over them. So it's going to be tough for them to actually even make the play-in, uh, which with Luca, who's not in his prime, but he's you know one of the best five players when healthy, to not even make the play in, in these days is just outrageous. And the question is, should they actually want to keep Kyrie? I mean, they haven't really given this experiment enough time, but they look awful. They have no defense and teams are just waltzing through them. Yeah, Yuri or Julian, I don't know if you want to talk about uh, yeah. the as well. Go ahead. Yes, I just absolutely spot on there, Todd, with the whole of Dallas's defensive deficiencies because last season, right, it was – they're one of the top five defenses in the league under Jason Kidd. And we know, of course, Kidd had that success right from his first season with Milwaukee back in 2014-15. And you think this season they'll continue on that trend. But I think what's been most glaring is the size factor of the Mavericks, and especially when you lose Maxi Kleber for basically 35 months with a torn hamstring, I think from early December. And well, he's back now in the lineup and he's by far their best defender because of his ability to switch onto, you know, guards and then also defend, you know, four and fives. But the other issue as well is also looking through the numbers, their rebounding stats are, wow, dead set last in rebounding at 38.7. Yeah. yeah, it is glaring to say the least. Only Brooklyn 
is worse than them at the moment. I think they're about 40.3 rebounds per game. And the offensive rebounding too, they're dead last 7.7 a game. So there are so many issues they've got to try and somehow address. And also the other part too is the roster in terms of the salaries as well. In terms of trying to, you know, move a few players along the way, that's going to be difficult because of their value. I think Tim Hardaway Jr. has got two more seasons left after this one's completed. JaVale McGee, they gave a three-year $20 million to by memory. He's still got two more seasons to run as well. And Reggie Bullock, I'm pretty sure, has got two more years to run as well after this season concludes. So in terms of, you know, assets, what they want to give in terms of, you know, maybe perhaps trading one of those players and getting something good in return to build around Luca, it's going to be difficult. And again, it's been the whole sort of topic around since Luca was drafted by, well, Atlanta first and traded to Dallas as part of the Trey Young deal back in draft now of 2018 is where's the support going to come from? Because we saw potentially the Kristaps, Porzingis and Doncic, you know, pairing could work. But again, that sort of, you know, had its deficiencies too. Even though KPs are excellent, you know, rim protected, it's normally, you know, his defense as a whole, which can be a little bit suspect. So, again, it's That raises an interesting really question there puzzling. as well, Yuri, about KP not working out with the Mavericks. Having quite an underrated season for the Wizards this year, um, I know Tom and I had spoken offline about can Luca play with another star at the moment? Uh, is his game conducive to that? You've seen him brought in Kyrie and they don't play particularly well together at all. Um, can Luca play with another star, boys? Well, I believe he has to, though, Alex. That's the that's the help he needs, though. And, of course, looking, you know, his usage rate, his usage rate is well, way off the charts anyway, considering, you know, he doesn't move off the ball. He's not an off-ball mover. The ball needs to be in his hands 99.99% of the time for Dallas to be, you know, super efficient, just like with Philadelphia back in the 2000-2001 season with Iverson. And Larry Brown spoke about that a long time ago when he was talking about why the Sixers needed to win because when Luca or when AI takes 30 or more shots a game, that gives the team every chance. And now it just feels like the same with Dallas as well. Luca needs to have 20 or more field goal attempts for Dallas to be every chance of winning because the offense isn't the issue. It's the other side of it where, unfortunately, it has absolutely gone downhill and the answers are really simple. They're far too small. We saw again today against Miami. I'm pretty sure... You know, at various stages, they've had Reggie Bullock playing as a power forward. And you think, oh, well, that's not really quite his position because he was drafted as a shooting guard slash small forward. So those tinkering arounds, they've done a little bit too. They've done, I think, also recently in the recent game too, they had Maxi Kleber along with Dwight Powell. So they had Kleber at the four and Powell at the five to start with. And that sort of generated all right results. But then the issue is how do they get, you know, a center which, you know, Powell's not a, you know, offensive threat, but at the yeah. same time, can I get someone who can actually do every single facet of the game? And I thought that's what they initially thought by getting Christian Wood. Well, that's exactly where I want to ask now. So Tom and Julian, jump in over the top of me if you want to. But if you're Mark Cuban this offseason, and we're assuming Kyrie Irving is not going to return to the, to the lineup next year for him, that's an assumption we're making, but he's made some comments in the media saying he's not happy with how the team's playing. He didn't think they'd be playing as poorly, such and such. They've got 25-plus mil cap room next year. It's not quite a max spot. You look around the league and we look for defense. You look for uh, rim protection, somebody who might be able to play the pick and roll with Luca. Where do you go? Uh, yeah, it's a good question. I think um, you were spot on. When you get two people who want to be the playmaker in a team, they clash. And I think we saw that a little bit with Westbrook and LeBron James, um, which didn't quite work. And I think for someone like Luca, Pozingas was – I mean, he likes to – 
um, whilst he can play down low, he also likes to take a lot of threes and play outside the, the key a lot as well. So I think someone, and, and this is kind of just off the top of my head, but someone like Nick Claxton might be suitable because he's someone who doesn't necessarily demand the ball, but he's someone that can protect the rim on the defensive end, but then also um, score some buckets on the offensive end as well. Um, he just, just needs good setup from someone like Luca. So that would be someone that I would suggest. I, yeah, so I think personally they should try an alternate route, which is don't pair Luca with the star and let him be this ball dominant guard that he is sort of like James Harden in Houston uh, before Chris Paul got there. And you know, consider this my addition to be a GM, but if I was to build a team around Luca, I'd play Luca at the point guard. Draymond Green's a free agent. Whether he's oh. going to leave Golden State, I don't know. But as a defensive present, presence and a guy who's going to get uh, Luca the ball, I reckon he'd work out pretty well. Brooke Lopez, free agent. I don't think he'll leave Milwaukee, but also would help them tremendously. Great defensive presence and can hit the three. He'd space that floor just ideally for Luca. And then for a small forward, I reckon he needs a uh, Mikel Bridges type kind of player. You know, he's got a $21 million contract. It's trade friendly, but I don't think the Nets are going to just trade him for nothing. So I doubt they could get him. But if they get someone like him, I mean, even a Chris Middleton, is, he's got a $40 million player option. I'd be shocked if he doesn't pick that up, but he will be a free agent in a couple of years. And then uh, DeJounte Murray is a free agent in a couple of years as well. And maybe that pairing, a more defensive-minded guard, could actually work around Luca. Interesting stuff. All right, I want to talk about the Pelicans because they're 7-3 and three in the last 10 games. And uh, on the, today, I think they... Brandon Ingram scored 36 or 38 again, playing quite well um, in a little purple patch, still with no Zion. Um, the Pelicans' record at home, quite surprising, 25 and 13. Um, you don't really think of them as a strong home team. Um, you, Julian, I think it was you that wanted to chat about the Pels, and as much as I do, because I've watched a lot of Pelicans yeah. basketball these last two weeks. Yes. I love Brandon Ingram. I love watching him play, that little KD-like slender frame that just snakes and he gets to his spot in the right elbow. Talk to us about the Pels. Yeah, spot on. I think we all want to talk about the Pels, so I'll try not uh, to steal the spotlight too much. But, what um, noise does the Pelicans make? I wish I could. <laughs> but i got no idea. Let's, let's add that in. Um, yeah. I think, yeah, seven from eight from their last eight. Um, and um, to be honest, so some of those teams aren't of the highest quality. We've got the Rockets twice, the Blazers, the Spurs, and the Hornets. So we can't, read into, me down. You can't read into it too much. But And they did lose to the Warriors. But in saying that, they beat the Clippers twice, which is huge because I think they're sitting seven and a game away from that sixth spot. Um and and what's good about them at the moment is that they're firing on all ends and all players are chipping in as well. Of course, Ingram's having a fantastic year, uh, a, a fantastic stretch with that triple-double. I think he's got two now in the last six games or so. And his passing is just so... His just vision on the court is something that we haven't seen from him before. Obviously, he, he's, he's maintained good assist numbers, but now the way he passes and sets up um, his players for three-pointers is a big plus. And, and speaking of three-pointers, Trey Murphy now, is the other player who's who's bearing a lot of the responsibility. He, I think he he set a franchise record for sixty three pointers in the month of February to March. I think or it might have been across March. And um, geez, his efficiency and his aggressiveness to take those three pointers has been a big plus for them. And in the last ten games, Ingram, McCullum, Big Jonas Valanciunas, and Trey Murphy have all hit double digits in their last ten games, which you don't see often. So they they can get offense from anyone. But Ingram in his last eight games is averaging thirty points and eight assists. So he's obviously a big factor for that. Yeah, Ingram, uh, even on the defensive end, they've struggled a little bit this season as well. Um, 
he was positioned at the five for a stretch uh, late last week. I don't think we talked about it on this pod. Um, so showing some versatility on defense as well. I know Yuri mentioned um, he's been pushed up to the four playing mm-hmm. this year as well. Uh, Tom or Yuri, do you want to touch on the Pelicans? Yes. Yeah, so <laughs> very England's quick, yeah. numbers. <laughs> yes, the England's numbers this month. I was having a look at it as well. He's averaging seven point two assists, which is a career high by memory during any month of his NBA career. And I think what they've done really well, the Pels, is they've taken less of the ball duty responsibilities of CJ McCollum, mm-hmm. placed it onto Ingram, and that way it's leaving McCollum as what he did in Portland to play off the ball and get around, you know, either Valentuna screen from the top of the key and also hit those threes or going around another Valentina screen, maybe a double screen at the same time and getting open for a mid-range. So in terms of, you know, tinkering up their offensive sets, they've done a really good job with that. And again, it's a far distant, you know, memory from where they were with that 10-game losing streak, I think from about January 16 all the way through to February 2nd, where I think at one point they were 26 and 17, then they fell to 26 and 27. And of course, those injuries with Ingram missing exactly two months from November 25 through to January 25 with that toe injury he aggravated against Memphis and Zion hasn't played since Jan 2nd against the Philadelphia 76ers. So they've done a really nice job in navigating, you know, that particular well, adversity that they've had. And I think I was listening, I was watching the game as well today, their game against the Clippers and Julian touched on as well. They also hold a tiebreaker against the Clippers as well. They have won all three meetings this season. So that's going to be really valuable too. And although they tied two apiece to Golden State. They currently just hold the better conference record. So there's everything to play for because they've got Sacramento, they've got Memphis, they've got the Knicks, and they've got Minnesota as the regular season finale. So these four games, if they do finish sixth and play Sacramento in the first round, that series is going to be an absolute corker because both sides just love to get up and down the floor and score buckets at will, especially the Kings. God, that'd be so much fun. Uh, look, speaking from a team that's seventh in the West to a team that's ninth in the West uh, to the Minnesota Timberwolves on a little bit of a slide. So on a two-game losing streak um, compared to the two-game winning streak for the Pels, and they're now five and five over, the, over their last 10 games, excuse me. Uh, a bit of a setback a couple of days ago, finding out that Nas Reed has a fractured wrist as well. Um, Nas a top scored a couple of times in the last few weeks for, for the Wolves, uh, but they've started to slide there and now only uh, two games up from Dallas in 11th. You'd think possibly safe with five games to go, the way Mavs have been playing, but not in a great spot. Um, Tom, talk to us about Minnesota and what the hell is are they going to do these last five games? Yeah, well, so they've had a bit of an up and down week. Uh, they had those two wins against the Warriors and the Kings, and that was a, a really shocking win against the Warriors where Draymond just turned the ball over and then Pat just pulled up for three in transition and absolutely drained it. Um, but then they lost to the Suns and the Lakers, and it, Really, they didn't look like they were in that Lakers game yesterday at all. Uh, and this Naz Reed injury, he's, he's probably got the biggest floor uh, to ceiling sort of gap with most players because some nights he'll turn on and he's just knocking everything down from three and other nights he has two points and he isn't really doing anything. But he's an important rotation piece. And without him, I don't see them doing too much damage in the playoffs. Uh, and then in the long run, what happens if this Gobert and Cat combo doesn't work out? Uh, it might, you know, it, it hasn't looked great when they have played, even though Cat has missed a significant amount of time. Uh, and, you know, sorry to our two French listeners, but uh, Gobert will probably be the one on the trading block if uh, he, if they were to blow it up. Yeah, Reid's injury is a significant loss as well. The next six weeks, six weeks, should I say, he's going to be out for because you think as well, Jalen Noel has been out too, and he, he basically missed a month 
entire month from late February and all the way through to March. And his scoring off the bench has given Minnesota a real counterpunch too. So losing those two are really significant to what they want to do, especially the second unit and giving Conley, Carl Anthony Towns, Anthony Edwards and Rudy Gobert rest. And Jaden McDaniels is the other one that's really, you know, his production has skyrocketed too. And also getting the assignment of having to guard the, you know, the opposition's best small forward slash guard at the best of times. He's done a tremendous job with that. And I think the Phoenix game is well. they really shot themselves in the foot. I was watching it and they gave up 20 turnovers by memory. About 10 of those were illegal screens with Rudy Gobert's one in the final minute, basically denied him any hope of getting any closer to Phoenix. And the Lakers game, I think midway through to third when they went on the 22-2 to two run was basically where the game was decided. And those turnovers yet again really shot them in the foot. And also three-point shooting during the third term, I think they start out 12 of 13 misses from downtown. And that really, again, sort of left them playing catch-up. So again, although they are two, you know, real denting losses in a way, they've still, you know, be able to rewrite the ship after what was, you know, really sort of, yeah, uneven start to the season the way. I think they were five games under 500 after New Year's Eve lost to Detroit. And that was a pretty bad loss considering they were 18 points up. And Chris Finch basically used that term in his post-match press conference, entitlement, in terms of he needs to, you know, whether some players feel this level of entitlement in the team and that there needs to be, you know, changes to the lineup or whether, you know, guys in the second unit need to start playing more minutes to give the team more energy. So, again, yes, that was a long time ago and they can still be a threat. And we saw that in the last, you know, postseason, including that magnificent playing win against the Los Angeles Clippers and to see what they did against Memphis, which who knows, it could potentially be a 2-7 matchup yet again. And they could, you know, pose the Grizzlies a lot of risks considering, well, Brandon Clark and Stephen Adams are both out. Mm. Uh, Minnesota only one game back from the Pelicans at the moment for that 2-7 matchup to occur. We might shift from the West, which is, Still drunk, and we're still trying to figure out how that's going to shape up with a week left into the East, which is most what the teams will be. There's still a chance that Washington, uh, Indiana, and Orlando could make the play in, but they're a good three games back with five to play against the Bulls. Uh, to the Toronto Raptors, who this year at home have a 2016 record, famously always drop games in the road in the playoffs. Um, but I believe since the Jakob Pertl trade, they've been playing quite well. I think I've got the stats in front of me. 12 and 9 since the Jakob Pertl trade. Some of those losses are against Philly, Milwaukee, the Lakers, and Denver. So lost a couple to the heavy hitters. Um, OG and Anobi, I think either tied his career high or was just one short of it earlier this week. Fred Van Fleet's return to form. Is anyone scared of the Raptors or are we a couple of years too late? I think, I think they can pose a threat, Alex. I yeah, Julian as well. Believe, you know, yeah, the turnaround since February 1 has been, yeah, really substantial for Toronto considering at one point they were 23 and 30 on the season after losing to Utah. And again, the whole questions I think still at the moment is in the half court. When they get really bogged down in the half court, you know, offense, that's when they tend to struggle because they don't have, you know, in terms of players who can create their own shot, even though, you know, OG Ananobi's offensive production, you know, every season has gotten better and better. Pascal Siakam, we know, of course, what he's going to do, averaging just a tick over 24 points per game. And Pirtle's, you know, reacquisition again to the Raptors has given them that real, you know, solidifying anchor in the, you know, the low block and in on the rim, basically, because, you know, they're struggling with that early in the season. They had to play Siakam at the five, considering... I'm pretty sure Precious Achua, shall I say, was out with an injury. And so they had to, they were pretty sort of wafer thin in terms of their front court stocks. And, you know, to be able to get 
Hurdle back in the lineup and his production yet again is just really, you know, elevated where the Raptors are. And also, who knows? They are a serious threat come to play. And they pretty sure they won the tiebreaker against Atlanta. They, oh, sh- sorry, should I say they lost the tiebreaker to Atlanta 2-1, but they beat Miami in the tiebreaker 3-1. So if they do play the Heat in the first round, they shouldn't fear them at all. You'd think Fred VanVleet might be the most important man in a, in a matchup with Miami or any matchup, really. Uh, since the Jakob Pertl trade, he's been playing a bit better. He started the year kind of slow. Uh, 19.8 uh, points per game since February 10th on almost 10 attempts from three, but only shooting 36.5%. So uh, points are up, shooting percentages. Uh, hey, um, maybe that's why I feel a bit trepidatious. Sometimes you watch Fred VanVleet and he goes 8 for 10. Sometimes you watch him and he goes 1 for 13. And it, it, it's a heartbreaker. Um, anyone want to talk about the Suns? Because KD returned to the lineup earlier this week. He missed some time with a ankle sprain, um, suffered unfortunately in the layup line um, a few weeks ago. Uh, Suns now fourth in the West. I've got my standings right in front of me here again. Uh, Twenty-six and twelve record at home, and they're currently on the four-game win streak. They are five and five in their last ten. So before KD's return, they had a little bit of a slide. Anyone? Anyone been watching uh, Suns basketball? Yeah, I watched uh, a bits and pieces of their uh, two games when Durant came back. And the first game, he looked a bit off, uh, rusty. He was also forcing up a lot of shots that you normally don't see him take, just contested uh, mid-range jumpers that were just not normally in his repertoire. Uh, But the second game yesterday, much better. 30 points, four rebounds, two assists, two blocks, 33 minutes of game time. And he shot 73% from the field, two of three uh, from three. And just looked a lot more solid. And, you know, with Paul, Booker, Durant, they're going to be pretty deadly on that end of the floor, you'd expect. Defensively, I have questions. And health-wise, around uh, Paul, I have questions. And obviously, continuity-wise, uh, I think Durant's played, what, five games with the Suns? Uh, so whether... Yeah, not a lot at all coming into the playoff. Uh, We've run, had more but, podcasts together. Yeah, Exactly. But um, whether it actually matters is, is going to be a question because uh, while everyone points at the Brooklyn Nets big three being a massive failure, that series they had against the Celtics in uh, 2021, they obliterated them without you know probably having, I think they only played what, maybe 11 games together or something up to, until that point. And it, it, had it not been for injuries, they may have beaten the Bucks as well. So maybe for the Suns, as long as they've got their three uh, key stars healthy plus Aiden, they might actually cause a bit of damage. I wonder if anyone on the pod today has the Suns as their favourite to come out of the West. I still have Denver at this stage, even though the defensive side of things we've spoken about in the last couple of episodes is where they have been sort of, yeah, a little bit glaring since Mike Malone took over. And, of course, we spoke about Contavious Caldwell-Pope and Bruce Brown's additions during the season, which is really help, you know, glue together its defense. I still, you know, especially I think the recent turnaround in form has been, you know, much better and that has been, you know, something, you know, to rewrite the ship again for the Nuggets. Also, I wouldn't, you know, discount Memphis out, you know, coming out of the West too. And, of course, with the front court being, you know, absolutely decimated, that's, you know, a little bit of a, you know, concern in a way too. The Clippers maybe potentially, but, again, still a little bit up and down at the moment. And Paul Quite George had 40 just, today. I don't know if you guys saw that game. He had 40. Did? <laughs> Look, uh, I don't have the Suns coming up, but if KD returns to form, there's probably nobody I fear more than KD with the ball in his hands with a couple of seconds left coming down the court. 
from beyond the arc. He can just do things with the basketball that maybe three other people in history can do. Um, look, Portland is the other team I want to talk about before we head quickly into the break. Um, they well and truly gave up earlier this week, and they've just sat Damian Lillard for the rest of the season, uh, playing a lot of their young guys, lots of heavy minutes, including Shaden Sharp. Um, Tom, I know we were bouncing around trade ideas for, this sounds crazy to say, trade ideas for Dame. Um, do you want to share them, or should we try and keep these to ourselves? Because it's, it's a bold task to try and find a suitable trade for Dame. No, no, like, I'm happy to share them. But um, honestly, Damien Lillard and the Portland Trailblazers are like, you know, it's like that mate who's got the girlfriend that you just, you know they're not going to last long. <laughs> and they just sort of drag it on and on and on. You're just waiting for them to sort of just break up and then then maybe the true opinions will come out a bit. But He's it's time. already, so he can't cut it. Yeah. Exactly. But it's, it, it's time. I mean, Damien's given everything he can to that city. Uh, no one's going to blame him if he does leave. And also... He's got that massive contract, so it's it's not like he needs to stay to get that franchise contract. But three trades that I've sort of come up with uh, using the ESPN trade machine uh, is I've got I've sent him to the East. I'm assuming Portland probably don't want him in the West, and I also think Portland are going to do do right by him and not sort of just go for the best offer. They'll try and send him somewhere competitive. Uh, so I think the biggest one is going to be the Knicks. I think they're going to really want that star player. Uh, but they're, they're, they're you know. Depending on how they go in the playoffs, I don't think they've got enough firepower uh, yet, but they could so go... So what's the trade uh, there? Who comes back to Portland? So the trade would be RJ Barrett, Emmanuel Quickly, uh, Hardenstein, Evan Fournier, just as a salary filler, and then a few first-round picks where they can slot them in, we'd see. But uh, yeah, that's basically, I think, would be probably one of the better offers from the sense that it sends Dame somewhere where it's going to be competitive, but they also can get some draft capital back. Uh, but one left of field is what happens if Jalen Brown doesn't make All-NBA? Do the Celtics panic and go, we don't think he's going to stay. Let's try and get something for him and go put Jalen Brown with one year left on his contract, Peyton Pritchard from Oregon originally, well, played college ball in Oregon, uh, and then Gallinari, a salary filler for Damian Lillard. And who actually needs to include a first-round pick in that trade? I'm not sure because Portland would be getting back the better player, you'd think. Jalen Brown because he's got a bit more future potential uh, but with only one year left on his contract you just never really know anyone want to react to that Knicks trade because I think I pull the trigger if I'm the Knicks on that even you're giving up a manual quickly who's showed he could probably be a really valuable starter for them let alone six men of the year I want to talk about that Knicks trade that's interesting so we look at a lineup of Lillard Randall Brunson to name a few and back with Josh Hart as well yeah. Well done, Tom. I think I like that. I'm going to let that marinate. Yeah, let's <laughs> <the> afternoon. Jeez. <laughs> uh, is that enough for Portland to get? I think the Knicks pull that trigger. I don't know if that's enough for Portland. Yuri, I can see your wheel spinning. Yes. Yeah, uh, actually, I think it was early this season that there was rumors about the Knicks, you know, going after Damian Lillard. And of course, you know, those didn't eventuate. But, you know, there were you know, early murmurings about that, you know, possibly happening. Just thinking the other sides too that, you know, might have a crack at him. Just, oh, it's, it's too hard to put all together because you need the right assets as well and future first-round picks. And you never know what Portland's going to ask for considering, you know, Damien's done, you know, such, you know, great service for Portland for 11 years now since, you know, being drafted back in 2012. And, of course, the teams that, you know, he's had as well. I think the 2013-14 team was really good with LaMarcus Aldridge and Robin Lopez, Wes Matthews, Nick Batum. That was a great starting five. I think 2014-15 was basically the same lineup too. And then 
four of those five starters departed in the summer of 2015. You're thinking, well, where's Portland going? And, of course, they still make the playoffs the following, you know, well, for the rest of the duration as well. And I think, you know, the closest that, you know, they got to was the 2019 playoffs when they, you know, got to their first Western Conference Finals since 2000. They thought, you know, there might be every chance against Golden State, even though they pushed them really hard in all four games and unfortunately got clean swept. But, again, it's almost like, you know, some of the sightings in the way that they did with some of their role players, and we could probably go into it, but it probably take far too long, is what really hurt, you know, the Trailblazers in terms of getting another, you know, second star or even, you know, a third complementary role player to play alongside him. Really quickly before we head into the break, we're going to talk 30 seconds on the uh, Naismith Basketball Hall of Fame. Earlier this week, the class of 2023 uh, made some headlines. Dirk Nowitzki, Dwayne Wade, Pau Gasol, Tony Parker, Greg Popovich, I believe, uh, the five headlining. Um, am I mistaken? Was Becky Hammond in that or was she just shortlisted as, as well? Um, a really impressive lineup of Hall of Famers there. It's a super hard question. It's kind of unfair to ask, but who's your favourite lads out of those we've named? But Dirk Nowitzki, one of the most impactful championships of all time. Dwayne Wade uh, will be a Hall of Famer, but just electric on the field. Pau Gasol, a lot of people have a bit of a soft spot for, including myself, bringing a couple of championships to LA. Uh, Tony Parker, maybe it's his French family that are listening to our podcast, and uh, Greg Popovich as well. Um, Julian, we can start with you. We'll go to Tom, then you, then we'll head to break. Uh, I think the All-Star game where Dirk was playing showed how much the fans love him. Uh, he's always been a favourite of mine. Uh, made that fadeaway shot famous. Um, lovable character. Yeah, can't go past him for me. Yeah, I'm the same. I love Dirk, especially because you know when that heat big three formed, they were the villains of the NBA, and he's sort of that superhero that stopped uh, stopped LeBron from getting that first championship. Uh, and there's a there's a great uh, biography by a German journalist called Thomas Peltzinger, I think that's how you pronounce it, called The Great Nowitzki. And it just the his work ethic and you know what he did to get in the league is just a great story. Yuri, we'll finish with you. Yeah, same as well of Dirk Nowitzki too, considering, you know, his journey and, you know, being drafted pick nine back in 1998, originally by the Bucks and then traded to the Mavericks as part of the Robert Tractor Trailer deal, which Robert was drafted sixth overall by Dallas in the same draft too. I think Dirk spoke about during his second season, he, you know, felt, you know, really homesick and wanted to, you know, head back home to Germany. And I think, you know, the 99-2000, he, you know, doubled his points Per game, I think he averaged 8.4 in his rookie year all the way up to about 17.4. And then it was basically the 2001 season where under with Steve Nash and Michael Finley, the Mavericks' big three at the time, when they upset Utah in that opening round and Dirk had that marvellous game three. Basically, it was an elimination final performance that they had to, you know, negate by. And he was sensational in that. And, of course, the Mavericks went on to win, you know, that deciding game five with basically the final possession when... Carl Malone missed that jump shot. I think they had a couple of offensive rebound opportunities, Utah, and squandered them. And, of course, we saw, well, the 2006 finals heartbreakingly lose to the Miami Heat. And then, of course, everyone remembers 2011 because even before that, 2007, when Dirk, I'm pretty sure, won MVP that season as well, they got bounded by the Golden State Warriors, the We Believe team. And, you know, the whole question marks on Dirk, you know, be able to – you know, play against, you know, smaller guys and smaller guys having their way against him. And, you know, it's all really raised those questions. And, of course, when they brought Tyson Chandler along during, you know, the summer of 2010, his acquisition to help Dirk, you know, play his natural game really 
solidify what the Mavericks were looking for. And, of course, you know, the flu game, I'm pretty sure, and gave five as well when he was coughing all around the joint. And if you've ever watched the Mavericks 2010-11 documentary, well worth well worth watching again because it goes into detail how Dirk was feeling the, the night before as well. And then he thought he would be feeling better the next day and it just got a lot worse. And, of course, you know, his shooting wasn't quite, you know, where, you know, of course, Dirk, you know, was a magnificent shooter. I think it was only about uh, till 13. At one point, he hit that unbelievable layup over Udonis Haslam in the final about 30 seconds of the game. And, of course, we saw, you know, some magnificent performances as well during that run to the NBA championship, the 48 points in game one against OKC and the 40 points in that unbelievable game four comeback. And, of course, that hitting that clutch three in the final minute and 30 against OKC in game five. So, there's so many great moments of Dirk, and I think what really stands out most is his humility and, you know, the legacy he'll live, and, you know, especially a statue too now. Yuri, uh, your memory is just incredible. Uh, for my mind, I'm picking Greg Popovich. We're going to go through a break. I might try and find my Pau Gasol jersey, and we'll come back in a second. All right, you're back with us on the Mojo Sports Network. Um, I don't know how many times this week I read the words career high or tired career high. There was some incredible performances this week. Um, Tom, we'll start with you because I've got no idea where you're going to take your performance of the week. So I'm going with Jason Tatum versus the Bucks from the other day, uh, which, you know, the Bucks were on a back-to-back and it was their fifth game in seven days. So they might have not been at their peak performance, but Jason Tatum wasn't playing around uh, after their disappointing loss to Washington. He came in, had 40 points, eight rebounds, uh, and only played 31 minutes, and he didn't even have to see the floor in the fourth because they were up by so much. Uh, 67% from the field, eight out of 10 from three, eight out of eight out of the line. Uh, and I think the overlying theme of this is, does he have the Bucks number? If you look at the last five games that he's played against the Bucks, it's 40 points in a 41-point uh, victory, 41 points in a 21-point victory. He had 23 points and eight assists in that Game 7 victory. Uh, 46 points in that elimination game on the road in game six, and then 34 points uh, in a three-point loss in game five. So he's consistently doing this to them. It's scary for the Bucs. Um, they've sort of game plan. Sorry, the Celtics are sort of game plan for the Bucs defensively, throwing a lot of bodies at Giannis, making him shoot terrible three-point shots that for him just aren't worth it, uh, pushing him off the line. If they can get consistent offense from Jason Tatum like he has been proving to do the last little stretch, that's a finals matchup that's probably weighing more towards the Celtics this year than it ever has. Um, also crazy about that Jason Tatum game is Jalen Brown had 17 points in nine minutes in the first quarter and Jason Tatum still find the time to just go absolutely psycho. Uh, Julian, your performance of the week, are you sticking with the Celtics or moving elsewhere? I'm moving elsewhere because I've wanted to talk about this player for the last month, and that is Mikael Bridges. Yes. Um, even though the Nets um, haven't been uh, winning that many games, gee, he's, he's playing an unbelievable basketball at the moment. And um, to put that in perspective, he's t- played 22 games for the Nets, averaging 27.5 points, um, most minutes, I believe, um, since the trade. Rebounds, four rebounds, two assists, and a couple of steals. But he's, and he's shooting 91% from the free throw line, 50% plus from the floor. And he's put up 40 points three times and eight 30-point games. And, geez, he just looks so efficient from the floor. He looks exactly like Ingram and Durant the way he plays, which is so ironic given that he was traded for Durant. But <laughs> I think it, it works to his favor because he's had to take that that lead in more aggressive uh, top scorer responsibility slash role. And um, 
yeah, that, that game against the Magic, even though it was a losing performance, he scored 42 points. I think six threes he hit, mm. um, even though it was on the road. And some of the shots, the fans were just in awe of them. And he's doing it um, game after game now. So, he's yeah, he's proven that he's not just a defender. He can really bring it offensively as well. And you'd assume opposing teams are coming in town with mind that they've got to defend Mikhail and he's still being able to put up these numbers. He's been doing this for quite a while now, even back into the back end of last year. Um, so a really impressive stretch there in Brooklyn for him. Yuri, your performance of the week, who is it? Yes, got Drew Holiday's 51 points, a career high for him. And, you know, of course, with Drew being the selfless player that he is, he, of course, normally defers a lot to Middleton and Giannis to really carry the load. But when the Bucks needed him and, of course, with pretty sure Middleton was resting actually that night as well. Drew just absolutely went off right from basically the first shot that went in. The crazy thing about his performance, 51 against the Pacers, is that Giannis had a 38-point triple-double and it almost didn't get mentioned in that game. Um, the duo, the two of them, broke a Will Chamberlain record from 1969. So it was the first time in 53 years that a duo combined for at least 85 points, 25 rebounds and 20 assists in a game. And that was Will Chamberlain and Elgin Baylor that first year in the Lakers. So anytime I've got a standing rule, anytime you break a Will Chamberlain record, it's an incredible feat. We should be talking about it. Um, I'm going to list off a couple of other performances that happened this week. And please jump in if you want to talk about any of them, because there's lots of incredible performances, lots of career highs somehow at the back end of the season. So we talked about Mikhail Bridges is 41. Jalen Brown had 41 against the Spurs on Monday. Luca had 40 against the Hornets in a loss, I believe, on Monday as well. Um, Emmanuel quickly had 40 against the Rockets. It is the Rockets. We'll give him that. Um, Chris Middleton had 34 against Detroit, and Jaden Ivey had a career high 32 in that game. Um, so great work, Jaden Ivey. PJ Washington had his career high 43 against OKC in a win, I think, on Wednesday. Donovan Mitchell had 44 in a loss against the Hawks. Unreal. Um, Steph Curry had 39 against the Pelicans at home earlier this week. Westbrook had 36 and 10 against the Grizzlies um, without Kawhi and Paul George. Importantly, in that uh, victory, I think, sorry, um, I can't remember if they won that game or not, but in that game, Westbrook became the first player to have 30 points, 10 assist games for five separate franchises. So again, just a crazy record. Uh, AD had 38 and 10 against the Bulls. Uh, Taylor Horton Tucker had 41 for Utah. It was against the Spurs. Um, I don't know any of the names on the Spurs at the moment. They're playing guys called Sandro Mamukulishvili, um, who, uh, but you know, that's fine. Anytime you score 40, we'll mention it. And Jalen Brunson had his career high 48 against the Cavs. Um, and I think I ticked all the good ones. Kawhi had 40 today in a loss against the Pelicans as well. So Kawhi um, having a return to form. Uh, for Alex's secret segment this week, we're going to play a game of Pirtle. Uh, for those of you who don't know, Pirtle is a game based off the really fun uh, five-letter game Wordle, where instead of trying to guess a word in a couple letters, um, you guess a NBA player and we get some results back. So, for example, we can start with Steph Curry and we get eight guesses to find out who is the player among the league. Um, the little generator will tell us if this player is taller, shorter, on the same team in a different division, uh, what position they play. I don't think Julian's played this game before, but I know Tom was familiar with the concept. Julian, you've got no idea what we're doing, do we? I've, I've played Wordle. So. Okay. <laughs> That's halfway. You're halfway there. <laughs> halfway there. So this week for Pirtle, I don't know if you want to start with a particular player. I know I mentioned Sandro Mumukulishvili for Spurs, <laughs> but that's probably a bit brutal. Do we want to start with a particular player, please? Don't make me I, volunteer LeBron James. That's a boring one. I, I normally start with LeBron, to be honest. Ah, okay, we'll start with LeBron. My okay. strategy. We'll start with LeBron. So uh, this player is not on the Lakers, is not in the West, is not in the Pacific Division, is not a forward, is shorter than six foot nine, is younger than 38 years of age. 
but his um, jersey number, smaller than number six, so that might limit it quite a bit. So let's see where this next... You, Tom, you pick LeBron, so we'll let Julian have a guess now. Uh, I think Tom needs to go next because I'm still, I'm still learning the concept. <laughs> uh, all right. Uh, I reckon because it's lower than six, I'll go uh, Tyrese Halliburton. So okay. I'm trying to narrow it down. Tyrese Halliburton. Okay, what an incredible guess this was. I'm going to share screen so Julie can get the concept and we'll figure out the audio oh, after this. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. Oh, wow. So, okay. Tyrese Halliburton, great guess. Our mystery player does play for Indiana um, in the Central Division, is a guard, is six foot five, but older <laughs> than 23. Uh, Tom, you're in a role. I don't know if you want to give Julian a guess or you just want to take. I'm happy with no guesses. That's, that's, that was outrageous. <laughs> was that, were you meant to solve it that quick? We not solved it, but we're very close. Oh, See this right yellow on. here? Yeah, the yellow here means he's probably a year or two older than 23. Um, and <laughs> you can have a look at the silhouette, but we're not going to do that because that's cheating, Julian. <laughs> so I need to guess our player who meets all those criteria who's yep. somewhat older than 20. Oh, dear me. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to need help, boys. not going to lie. <laughs> <laughs> it's Indiana. Um, I don't know what jersey number Aaron Naismith wears, but that's my guess. I'm going to plug that in. I don't watch No, no, no. Naismith's 23. Oh, uh, we're not going to plug it in. All right, between the what's, three of us. What's Nemhard? I don't know. It seems like a, a good enough guess for us. Okay, oh, what? We, oh, we ruined it. We ruined it. <laughs> so um, a number between just... three, four, and five. Oh, probably, uh, maybe uh, uh, du- Chris uh, Duarte. Duarte, okay. So oh, guess, yes. Guess number four, it's Chris Duarte. We solved it in four, so there we go. It's there Chris you go. Duarte. Nice, okay. Well done. Look, between the three of us, we got there. We didn't <laughs> cheat this week. So. I know what I'll be playing tonight or not. Thanks, boys. I don't think it resets uh, every 24 hours. Oh. You've got to wait a whole day. I know, it's brutal. <laughs> oh, no. But that was Alex's secret segment. Something a little bit more whimsical. All right, we'll just take a break and then we'll be back in a moment. All right, back for the final sprint on the NBA Weekly Recap Show on the Mojo Sports Network. Um, Very last week of the NBA calendar before we get into the play-in. And I'm very excited next week to talk about our play-in preview. We've still got four or five games left for most teams. Um, I've highlighted three teams uh, that I think are particularly interesting uh, how things and standings might shake out this week. They all happen to be in the West. So my question first to you three gentlemen, is the East Raptor? Yeah, basically, I think most of the seedings, Alex, for, you know, come the playoffs are with Milwaukee two games ahead of Boston. And although the Celtics do hold the tiebreaker, they basically need to win their remaining five games and that the, the Bucks, you know, basically lose three of their final five to grab the East top spot. And the reason why, of course, is Philadelphia's third. And and both teams, both Celtics or Milwaukee, don't want to be in that 2-3 bracket come the second round of the playoffs. The 4-5 matchup, I'd say, is well and truly sealed now. The Cavs and Knicks. And New York can take, you know, a lot of heart into that matchup considering they took three or four during the regular season. And, of course, with the Cavs' big, you know, the big trees in Evan Mobley and Jared Allen. That's going to be a real fascinating opening round playoff series to see how the Knicks really combat that. Although they do have Mitch Robinson and they hope that Julius Randle does return come the opening round with that sprained ankle. And they also have Isaiah Hartenstein and Obi Toppin, whose defense has improved significantly too. So Mm. they can really pose the Cavs a lot of problems on that end. And the other one being, of course, the 76ers match 
76ers, sorry, and the Brooklyn Nets 3-6 matchup as well, considering now is a rematch of about four years ago, actually, in that postseason, which, you know, the Nets really pushed the 76ers in that series. I think the other ones, well, in the East too with Miami and I'd say Atlanta, but don't surprise me at all that it'll be Toronto in that 7-8 v matchup and Atlanta v Chicago. There's just too much, you know, not enough room for Washington and Indiana to make up spots anyway, considering the Wizards will, you know, fall in form in the last, you know, couple of weeks or so, as long as it's been in the Eastern Conference. Do we all think that's wrapped up for the Wizards? Does anybody think the Wizards have a chance, Julian, Tom? Uh, no. I mean, they they <laughs> play out of their skins against the Celtics during the week. Uh, and I think... I think two of the, their best offensive games this season have actually come against the Celtics. Uh, mm. So maybe if they were playing the Celtics, they'd have a chance. But outside of that, uh, no. I think they're going to shut it down for the season. I'd be surprised if we see Bradley Beal again. Uh, and Kuzma didn't play the other day either. So who knows if they'll even bother suiting up again for the rest of the year. Julian, I see you nodding away. I think you yeah. might feel the same way. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> it's done. They're three games back from the Bulls. Uh, look, okay, so back to the West, back to the interesting stuff at the moment. Um, I want to talk about the path for the Lakers, the path for the Pelicans, and the path for OKC. Um, everyone always has eyes on the Lakers. AD appeared to go down with an injury yesterday and then come out of the game saying he feels okay. So I haven't seen an update uh, as of time of recording, but we are hoping healthy and readily available. Um, they have the fourth easiest schedule remaining in the league, according to tankathon.com. So only five games remaining. They do play the Suns um, and they do play the Clippers, which I know a couple other podcasts have circled that matchup saying that's maybe the biggest battle for LA we've ever seen, uh, depending on standings. Then they play the Rockets and Utah twice. Um, so at the moment, the Lakers currently sitting uh, eighth, tied eighth, or just, sorry, excuse me, half a game up from the Timberwolves. Um a game and a half back from Golden State and five. So if things break the right way, they can get out of the play-in. Anyone concerned about those two first games the Lakers have, uh, which were against the Suns and the Clippers? My uh, biggest concern is that LeBron or KD is going to somehow miss it. And for, I think, the fifth year in a row, we're not going to get that LeBron-KD matchup again because I don't think it's happened since 2018 Christmas Day. And yeah. Everyone's dying for it, and it just keeps missing out. So I, I hope they uh, suit up. But no, I think I think the Suns should still handle them comfortably. Uh, but again, you never know with this Lakers team. I thought the Timberwolves would uh, at least you know push it to the wire yesterday, but the Lakers comfortably handled them, even when AD did go out of that game. So I, I think the Lakers will make the play in. Uh, if they make the playoffs, I could definitely see them doing damage but I don't think they can stay healthy for four rounds and win a title. That'd be interesting if they got up into the sixth seed because you'd assume, um, excuse me, the Clippers currently in the sixth seed if they manage to climb. They then face the Kings in the first round and the Kings, a very exciting uh, frenetic offense, but uh, not the most established defense or um, that a lot of experience in the play. And so that was something that I was circling in pencil to see how that shakes up this week. Um, we'll talk about OKC as well, because OKC currently uh, in 10th, one game up from Dallas, who have been pretty awful recently um, in 11th. Uh, this week, they play the uh, Grizzlies, the Suns, the Golden State Warriors, and then the Jazz. That's actually the five, fifth toughest schedule remaining in the league for OKC, who've really tried super, super hard um, and played really well the last two and a half months behind SGA, we talked about, he's our cutest boy. Uh, Josh Giddy's been playing well, but also the emergence of J-Dub in the rookie Jalen Williams. 
Um, anyone concerned for OKC that they're only one game up from Mem- uh, excuse me from the Mavericks? Yeah, that's I that. don't think yeah. so. Julian, you go first, and then we'll hear from Yuri because yeah. I want to hear no. Yuri's opinion on the Pels. Yeah, as well. go, for, go for a month quick. I was just going to say that 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 um, that's brutal. That those last um, few games for them, they could well um, drop all of those Suns, yeah. Warriors, Jazz, and Grizzlies. Yuri? Yeah, I was just thinking as well because the season series between the Thunder and the Mavericks was tied at two apiece. Then it comes down to, of course, conference records. And I think Dallas holds slightly the better conference records. So there is a little bit of, you know, concern in that way. And Alex, you spoke about too last episode about, you know, OKC's next four games and with, you know, Detroit, which they just won on the buzzer beater with Jalen Williams' tip in. The, uh, that loss to the Hornets, which, you know, could be significant PJ Washington going off. They also, I think they lost to Indiana too, narrowly as well. So those defeats, which, you know, if they had have won those, would would have put them, say, two games up on Dallas and made it, you know, all like really too difficult in a way for the Mavericks to really climb up considering the rut they've been in as of late. But again, these next four games and with Dallas's schedule, we've sacri- well, they've got Atlanta tomorrow in the back-to-back. Then they've got mm. Sacramento. Then they've got Chicago and the Spurs, all three home games. So at least gives them some hope of, you know, making it to that 10th and final spot in the play. And But again, with OKC, that's a real, you know, litmus test yet again. And they've shown against, you know, the Phoenix Suns during this season series that, you know, they can top them at any level. And yet again, the other one against Golden State, they, you know, showed some really good signs. And again, who knows, hey, it's just, this is the real sort of, Pickly moment of the Western Conference, and we've seen it for you know all these years where it comes down to you know the final two spots in the West, like we saw. It'll keep you know, going too. I, lo- I love that attitude of who knows, hey, because that applies perfectly to the Pelicans, who are only uh, one, two games up from OKC. So the Pelicans, and currently seventh, have the second hardest remaining strength of schedule according to Tankathon.com. So the Pelicans play uh, Memphis, the Kings the Knicks, and then the Timberwolves, who you think uh, have fallen away a little bit. Uh, we talked about that injury to Nas Reed. Are the Pelicans in danger of falling as well? My voice went uh, really, really high then. I don't know how, but are the Pels in danger? They're currently 7-3 in the last 10 game, and we talked about Brandon Ingram playing very well, but only two games up from OKC in 10th with four and a half remaining. No, I definitely don't believe so. They hold the tiebreaker as well against OKC. So that's what's in their favor too. I think the Minnesota one, they lead 2-1 in that tiebreaker. So they've got, you know, everything going their way. Although they lost a tiebreaker to the Lakers, I'm pretty sure 3-1. And yeah, basically, yeah, I think, you know, from where they've, you know, been, as we've spoken about, you know, during the show from, you know, where they are right now. I know defensively, there are still a few little, you know, hits and misses in between there, of course, with Zion being out. But again, Valanciunas' production too, that's the real underrated part that the Pelicans can really utilize come to play. And or if they do make the sixth spot as well, especially against the Kings, if with Valanciunas and Larry Nance Jr. And at times they could, you know, put Willie Hernan Gomez in there, whose minutes, you know, tend to fluctuate at the best of times. So again, they're in a really good spot and they couldn't be peaking more at the better time. Alrighty, so we got a brand new segment to wrap up the show this week. We are the uh, NBA Weekly Recap Show on the Mojo Sports Network. So we thought we'd add a little flair of that mojo into our show. We have the mojo rating. So at the end of this week and hopefully every week, we're going to have a little 60-second recap of um, we're going to pick a team and think how they're feeling now or how they might be feeling in a week's time uh, in the play, in the playoffs, into the offseason as well. So, for example, um, I have the Suns rated 8 out of 10. They've got a fair bit of mojo going on at the moment. 
And I think they feel pretty good. They played Denver, the Clipper, uh, the Clippers, the Lakers, the Spurs, and then OKC. A couple of tough games, but I think they'll be fine with that. They haven't had a lot of time um, to integrate KD into the lineup. And they'll want to play lineups. They want to get minutes. They want to get adjusted against some quality defenses, but also against some teams that can put up some points on them. So uh, maybe 8 out of 10 was a little high. Devin Booker's scoring 32 points a game in March, but I think that the Suns are feeling pretty good about themselves. Tom, who have you got? I've got the Kings, and I'm going 10 out of 10. I mean, they clinched their first playoff uh, berth since 2006. Uh, it doesn't matter who they play for the rest of the regular season. They're in. <laughs> they don't need to worry. They're not like almost every other team in the West. They don't need to worry about who uh, who wins, loses. They're in. They're going to get that home court advantage in the first round. And I tell you, that game one in Sacramento for that first playoff game will be nuts. Uh, it, if they win, it will probably resemble that Pat Beverly play-in uh, carry-on. And you probably might think that the Kings have won the championship, but... Can't blame them since it's been so long. Uh, and I just, I can't wait to see them in the playoffs and I'm ready. Just light the bloody beam already. I don't want to be a downer, but do you think there's any possibility we take 0.5 off of that 10 just in case the Lakers scrap, uh, scrap into sixth and they've got to play the Kings in the first round? Do you think there's a bit of hesitation from Sacramento fans for that one? A, a little bit, but. Yeah, okay, I, we'll I, take half a point. Uh, I, I don't think the 10 out of 10 is going to waver until the playoff seedings are set. Then, then, uh, then the nose might set in, but until then, I think they're just going to be riding high. Okay, we'll keep the vibes heavy. Jules, who have you got for your mojo rating for the week? I'm going to go the Warriors. Um, even though we've given them a hard time here um, on the pod the last two episodes with their defense, I think they've, they've won the last five out of six games. I know Draymond went down um, with an injury um, to the Spurs, but they're looking healthy with Curry and Thompson now and Poole uh, getting their offense, their offense going. So um, Denver, OKC, Sacramento and Portland, I think, they can at least win two of those, but who knows? The Warriors, known to peak late, might actually come out with three or, or even all four. So we'll be interested to see how they wrap up the season. Yuri, take us home. You've got a mojo rating. Yeah, I've got for both sides, I think. So two teams, the Knicks and the Cavs as well. The Cavs won because it's basically be their first playoff appearance since LeBron in 25 years, which is a really, really long time. And considering what they did last season to get into the plane and they're in really good position to actually make the playoffs as it were until, you know, of course, that late dip during the regular season, which really cost them, I think it was a fifth or sixth spot in the East. And in Knicks as well, the bounce back season too after, well, it was a really sort of, you know, yeah, the 2021-2022 season didn't go to plan, unfortunately, only a 37-45 and 45 record. And to see what they're doing now, 44-33 and 33 by memory, so 45-33 and 33 is their record at the moment. So, if they can get to, you know, 47, 48 wins, that's such a big tick considering I think the start of the season, they were projected to win about 41, 40 games. And again, the defense at times has been, you know, the suspect at the moment. But against the Cavs, I'm pretty sure that first meeting, they absolutely stitched them down to about 81 points. So those two teams are, you know, my big ratings at the moment. Definitely, you know, 9, 9.5 for both of them, what they've done. Well, that uh, unfortunately brings us to the end of our weekly recap show on the Mojo Sports Network. The the good news is next time we do this, it'll be a full play-in preview, lads. Uh, so there'll be lots to talk about. Yuri's very excited already. I know Tom's probably working on an article for the Raw.com, which takes us into our outro today. Tom, where can we find more about you? Then we'll listen to Julian. Then Yuri, you can take us home. Tom. Yeah, no, the raw.com.au. Uh, I think there'll be a link in the podcast description. Uh, had an article go up last week sort of saying why it doesn't matter if uh, Embiid or Jokic win the MVP. They're not going to probably do any damage in the playoffs. So a bit controversial, but yeah, give it a read. Yuri, where can we find you? 
So you can find all my work at the Zero Hanger website. That's zerohanger.com.au. You can also read my other work at zerowicket.com.au and zerohoops.com.au. It's still attached on my LinkedIn page. Lovely. Julian, where can we find you? Or do you want to talk about AFL for 30 seconds? <laughs> drop some, <laughs> Mate, drop 30, some tips. 30 seconds isn't enough, but uh, you will find me ranked uh, top 1,000 for AFL Fantasy. So I'm up there. So I'll, yeah. I'll keep you posted on how I'm going with that. But no, you can find me at Mojo Sports Network as always. And on the top thousand scoreboards. And my name is Alexander. You can find me at Bibble Bites, a three-minute basketball podcast, or at thesportstrap.org. Gentlemen, always a pleasure. I'll talk to you during the week, and I can't wait to do it again next weekend. Cheers, Thanks, Alex. Alex. Really appreciate, appreciate it. it. Thanks, Alex. See you guys.